0: Hello and welcome to the All Creation Podcast. For this winter solstice edition of the journal, we are talking about the sabbatical year tradition, or Shemitah, and how it connects to the climate crisis, sustainability, human action, God's creation, and more. My name is Yaira Robinson, and I will be the host. In today's podcast, we are going to focus on a project in the Pacific Northwest that is bringing Shemitah teachings to congregations and religious communities of all faith traditions. I'm excited to welcome Deirdre Gabay, director of Shemitah Project Northwest, a new initiative launched in partnership with Earth Ministry and Congregation Beth Shalom Seattle. Hi, Deirdre. How are you today? I'm just great, Yaira. It's nice to speak with you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for being here. Before we learn more about Shemitah Project Northwest, I would love for you to share some about how all this got started. What excites you about Shemitah?
1: Well, I became interested in Shemitah just before the start of the last Shemitah year. I had been reading the Torah portions about Shemitah because I was learning to learn Torah through Parshat Bahukotai, and I was just really taken with two things. The first was the beauty of the vision of a fully generous earth and landscape that willingly offered not only fruit from wild fruit trees, but also rain in her seasons. I love that we were invited and encouraged to create through Shemitah, as well as the other commandments, to create a world that was so much like the Garden of Eden that God would walk around with us, even using the same verb as is used in the story of Adam and Eve about God moving around with us in the Garden of Eden. And so I really, from the very start, I started to connect the idea of Shemitah with this sort of a permaculture vision, because what is the first permaculture garden, if not the Garden of Eden, in which, you know, human beings didn't have to work. All of the food was just there, abundantly available from the trees of the garden. Or more appropriately, the practices that even today, that indigenous people still live in a state of reciprocity with an abundant landscape. The text spoke to me and sort of gave me this vision. And I was also really taken with the much more scary depiction of the world that is described in the curses in that same text, that if we don't manage to get things right, we're going to experience waves of increasing severity of really bad things that are brought about by human pride, and which actually creates a hostility of the landscape to the human being with pestilence, famine, war, all of these things sort of coming, and then there's sort of being a pause, like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue along this course, or are you going to reverse course until, in the end, comes exile and the only way to set the land right in that part of the text is you guessed it through Shemitah, through letting the land rest. So um as a person of faith and also as an environmentalist since a very long time ago, I came away feeling like this text had like it was really speaking to me and it had very important and urgent messages. And that I've been trying to carry these forward ever since. I, I was really sort of really inspired by this text. So I sort of bided my time for the next few years after that Shemitah year, and then started teaching and gearing up to teach about all of this um, in time for this Shemitah year, which is currently in progress. And then very interestingly, in the build-up period that I was preparing myself to teach, it coincided with this global pandemic and this overlapping climate and weather-related catastrophes that we have all just been going through, and which I think has taught us some really, really important lessons that I think are related to Shemitah. And one of them is really large calamities like we read about in the Bible, these plagues, they can happen. They can happen in our time. I've seen the forest burn down. I've seen the air outside my window so thick with smoke that it isn't safe to go outside. Um, and in the early stages of the pandemic, when we were locked in the house, then on top of that came fires. We, we literally couldn't even go outside for a walk we were trapped in our house by the smoke. And then just last summer, we experienced what's called, what they called the a heat dome where we had, there's 114 degrees in the Pacific Northwest. People don't have air conditioners here for a reason. It's usually comfortable. So all of these calamities really show the potential for discontinuity to really rupture our sense of connection with the past. But then on the positive side, it also taught us the discontinuity of human behavior is possible. In a way, um, we had been so, I think, set into our old patterns of doing things that we maybe didn't think it was possible for all the airplane, airline travel from one country to another to slow down, to have the, the you know traffic cleared up. There's no cars on the road. And just even for us as human beings, as scary as it was, it was also encouraging. And now all of us, really across the whole planet, have this muscle memory that things can actually jump out of their ruts. And honestly, we're going to need to be able to jump out of our ruts if we want to try to live sustainably um, going forward. So this pattern breaking from COVID in some ways gives us hints of what I think a Shemitah year could be. And we sort of have a choice between, um, it could either be like the one we just had, where the land takes back its Sabbaths pretty much without consulting us. And with a tremendous loss of life and suffering, the Torah teaches that it's It gets worse, not better, if we don't um, learn the lessons that we've been, that we're being offered. Or we could learn to really welcome a Shemitah year, to actually accept voluntarily and lovingly the idea that a year of complete rest can be a really positive thing, just like we do with the Sabbath of the weeks. We all saw, as part of the education that we all experienced during COVID, pictures of animals coming back. We had three baby orca calves born in an extremely endangered population in Puget Sound. Why did that happen? We don't know, but maybe it was because there weren't so many ships and they could hear where their mothers could hear where there was fish to forage. We saw sea turtle eggs hatching on abandoned beaches. We saw pictures in India in cities that had never been able to see the stars by night, had never been able to see the Himalayas by day, that they were able to see these splendors that are part of their birthright because of COVID. And, and what if we were to embrace this, like what would a Shemitah year actually look like? If we are going to try to develop a culture of response that would enable us to live through a year apart like that, a year of a cessation, but bringing it on voluntarily, how would we go about doing this? And and that's, really, that's a completely open question. I certainly don't have an answer and it's not one, one small thing. But that's pretty much where the Shemitah Project Northwest comes in. That was the, it's sort of that framework and that mindset with which we brought it into existence.
0: I really appreciate the vivid way that you've kind of described some of what, you know, you saw in the Torah and these teachings about Shemitah practice, like the curses, which is basically, you know, the the threat of a completely imbalanced world in which God and land and humans are like, everything's disjointed and out of balance and out of whack. And that's some of what, you know, fire and destruction and um, things that seem to be coming into life right now as a result of climate change and the imbalance that climate change is a result of. But then also this beautiful vision of what would things look like if we just Accepted this kind of harmonious reminder once every seven years of living in in a kind of balance and then sustaining that during the other six years through our practices. And the importance then of of really doing something to try to create that vision. So it sounds like in response to what you were seeing in the Torah related to Shemitah practice, that's really the emergence of Shemitah Project Northwest. So please tell us about that. What is what is this project? How can people learn more and get involved?
1: It's really important to me that it's a collaboration between a Jewish institution and a multi-faith, faith-based environmental organization. It's really too, I think, significant and really um, big of a concept to keep just within a Jewish institution or even within the Jewish world. And I found that this beautiful organization, Earth Ministry, Washington, Interfaith, Power, and Light is really, really interested in deepening its connections with these ideas. So sort of what are we trying to do? You know, like I sort of hinted, it's a very um, grandiose scheme. So imagine if you were born into a world that, um, that didn't have a, a day of rest at all. Like, human. It's, it's sort of like if you look at before the labor movement, right, when children used to have to work and now it's like children don't work anymore and we take it for granted that children don't work. Well, there used to be a time when human beings worked seven days a week that they, um, that there, in fact, there wasn't even, probably there wasn't even a week that was called seven. It was just like they worked all the time. You know, and, and imagine if somebody at that point came along and said, you know what, we're going to have a day of rest and everybody's going to stop working. And it might have, it might have seemed like a pretty big lift to bring that into existence from a world that didn't know, that didn't have any experience of that. And the way I understand it, the Romans thought that the Jews were really lazy and tried to force them to work on the Sabbath. But it was, you know, and this is, this is why, um, part of why I approach this from a religious, from a faith-based point of view. There are many reasons, but one of the strengths of a faith-based point of view is that there's a vocabulary for a sense of commandedness. So because the Jews felt that they were commanded not to work on the Sabbath, they didn't care if the Romans were going to, like, whip them or even, you know, kill them. They were just not going to work. And, you know, it it turns out that there are some Jewish towns that have a stone pillar. It's like a style. And it's inscribed from Rome to let the local police force know that Caesar himself had given permission for the Jews to rest. So somebody, somebody somewhere walked to Rome and appealed to Caesar and said, look, We're not going to work on the Sabbath. And we'd like you to explain, like, tell your people that that's the way it is. So how do we summon the sense of commandedness? And so, like, one way is to sort of appeal to this, these commandments. And and this Shemitah is actually a very little known, very little practiced commandment, even within the Jewish community. I very frequently find people who have never heard of it or really thought about it at all. So the Jews did that, and now we have a seven-day week. So the maximalist vision I have for the Shemitah project is that someday the whole world will recognize the need for the land to rest for a whole year and that they will rest alongside of it in some meaningful way. And so I used to think a year. so, So why a year? Like why? It's a long time, maybe a few months or whatever, maybe a summer. But, you know, as I came to really think about a year, I thought about how much a year is really like a day on the scale of a planet. Winter is sort of like nighttime when we're sleeping, and then morning comes and that's spring. The summer is like a very, very productive. All this stuff, plants grow. Think of like squashes, like ripening on the vines, like pumping out fruit, apples on the tree. Very, very busy, energetic time. And then it begins to slow down. Um, autumn comes, it's quiet, and it's time to rest. It's really just like a day. It's exactly like a day. It's just a day for the whole planet. So the cool thing about Shemitah even is that it's not even a human commandment at this level. It's the earth, it's the land that's commanded to rest and to observe a Sabbath of complete rest for the Lord. It's about a relationship that we're not really even a part of. This is part of the way that the world works as part of an operating manual that's between God and the land. So um, that's a perspective that I like to keep as well. And another thing that I want to bring into the thinking about Shemitah is the idea that it's also very, very meaningful for us in terms of creating a universal way of demarcating our lives in seven-year increments. So, like, there is, a, there is a, a, an idea of a sabbatical, and some um, academics have access to a year of paid leave in which they get to refresh themselves and learn new skills. And, you know, in the sort of the life of the ordinary mortal, there's retirement after which you can, hopefully you have like some stream of income and you can do things that are enriching to you. But this sort of marries these two things together. Like what if ordinary people were to take a year off from their lives? And and one of the things that's really fascinating, so many things about COVID are really showing their resonance with Shemitah because now we're hearing about this idea of this great resignation where all these folks are changing their jobs they're just leaving, they're just walking out. And I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons for it. But they have taken this moment to make a break from the past, to, take, to make a change. Maybe they're developing new skills. Maybe they're spending time with family and friends. Maybe they're looking for more creative and productive ways of using the time in their lives. But, but the Shemitah would open this up for ordinary people to think about how to bring this into our culture. That this would be normalized, in essence. And just personally, as a mother, a woman who left the workforce and then, you know, there aren't very many on-ramps to come back in. And I think women are also experiencing this in in, uh, the COVID. They left the workforce, and now how do you get back in? Like, what do you need in order to to be able to transition between different phases of life as a parent, as a caregiver? I think that the Shemitah raises the possibility of thinking about this outside of a global pandemic. The other, and one of the most important things about Shemitah, something that I keep returning to even when I'm trying to think about other things, Shemitah is deeply concerned about social justice and about the economic component of social justice. As has said in the introduction, Shemitah isn't just about letting the land rest, it's also about the release of debts. And I would add one more thing to that, it's also about Jubilee. In addition to letting the land rest, Shemitah is about releasing debts that can't be repaid. People who can repay a debt should still do it. It's still okay to repay a debt. It's not like you can't. But if you can't, then you're supposed to be allowed to, um, to walk upright, to continue your life and not to be continually burdened by this. And what are we talking about in our society, even in our political discourse? We're talking about student loan forgiveness. We're having a conversation about how much debt is good for a society because it is good to be able to borrow money in order to open a business, to be able to get an education. These are not bad things, intrinsically bad things, but there is a point at which debt becomes a burden and it drags down a society and prevents it from fulfilling its potential and can cripple it. And Shemitah invites that conversation as well. Shemitah normalizes having this conversation about debt periodically. Even more intriguing, it has something to say about one thing that right now is only very obliquely on the social agenda, which is the need to prevent intergenerational poverty, the passing down of poor circumstances from one generation to the next. The last part of the Shemitah cycle is the Jubilee cycle. After seven Shemitah cycles, so 49 years, there is this call for everyone to return to their hereditary landholding. If your landholding has grown, like you've bought a whole bunch of other people's plots, it's about to shrink. But if it had shrunk, or if you had to sell it, or if you had gone into debt, you were going to get it back now, and you were going to have a productive endowment upon which to build security. So what might be analogous to that today? Even in Israel, this is not done. Nobody knows really the tribes, you know, very uh, explicit delineation of landholdings in the Torah for the 12 tribes. This is not something that exists outside of the land of Israel. But, you know, I still ask the question, what could this correspond to? How might it look? And I have some ideas, but I, w- I just would like to elevate the idea that inequality that's left to continue and roll over from one generation to the next, particularly if it causes some people to be squeezed out of full participation in society and the economy, that this is actually addressed in Torah. And a solution is put forward in Torah and that we as a society should address this problem and that we too should put forward a solution. All of those are really what I call the maximalist vision of Shemitah. But getting back to, well, what are you doing now? Like, what is the Shemitah Project Northwest? What can sort of we do? And what we started with is um, we're getting the word out. We're talking to people. We're teaching Shemitah 101, I call it, so that people will know what the word means and sort of hear these things that I've said to you, get sort of a 50,000 foot picture of what it might look like. We're also, um, you know, it's called Shmita Project Northwest. It's not just like everywhere. The reason for that is we're trying to build community around Shmita. And we have had people speak to us from all across the world. But for me, it's really important that we learn to take care of the actual place where we live, that the actual geography is not just some interchangeable um, puzzle piece where it doesn't really matter where we are. We need to be rooted in place. So that's the sense in which we call ourselves Northwest. We're building communities so that individuals and institutions can get to know each other, have these types of conversations, and build out concepts and ideas for a social agenda that brings this vision into life we already have some resources that we've put out put together for teachers to teach students and children about it but also um adult ed we've been teaching at hillels and J Connect, and basically wherever we've been asked to teach we've been trying to teach We're we're hoping to put together programming to teach summer camp counselors we're deepening our relationship with environmental organizations such as like i said Earth Ministry, which is really trying to bring forth the sense of commandedness to care for creation among religious communities, where it's it's very very resonant. But we're 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 really building this from scratch, sort of starting from two ends, sort of like the very very big picture and also just the very very small. Like, what can we do today? What can we do tomorrow? Who can we bring together? Like, for instance, um, the USY group at my synagogue was holding a swap meet and they had already planned it. And the whole thing was they had a date. They were, you know, everybody had been contacted already. And I was like, can we co-brand that with you? Even if we don't send anybody, I want them to know how resonant this idea of a swap meet is with Shemitah because like, well, why, why is a swap meet resonant with Shemitah? Well, in a Shemitah year, there would be less money circulating in a society because everybody who's involved in agriculture isn't making any money. Right? There there's no you you're not even allowed to sell like a small like only very, very small amounts of food for money. And then once you do that money takes on a sanctity of its own. And the money can only be used for food. So it it really creates an extremely different structure to the economic world in a Shemitah year. So what's gonna happen most likely if people have less money, that they're gonna be more creative about how they distribute um goods and services in the economy. And so the Swap Meet is so beautifully connected with that. I just wanted them to be aware. And I'm and, and, um, inviting people. Like, I think that's the most important thing that I'm doing is really I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to think about this. Your thought about what, what would a Shemitah observant society look like? What would the six years look like between Shemitah years? What would it be like to have a year where we all agreed not to exploit the earth or one another? Some people are lawyers. Some people work in finance. Some people um, are working in the fossil fuel industry. Some people are teachers. Every single person has a unique role that they're playing within their community, their neighborhood, their family. They're part of something bigger than themselves. And everyone is that in a different, unique way. So um, I am hoping that the seeds of awareness of these values and this practice will be nurtured by you in your own unique way. If you're not in the Northwest and you want to start a Shemitah Project Southwest, that's great. Nothing would make me happier. I would love to be setting the stage so that one day something that I can't even imagine what it would look like in the future will become possible. So that's what I'm hoping that people will reflect on from this conversation. And of course, you know, I would love it if anybody who has been, you know, inspired or has questions would like to reach out to me or to the other members of Shmita Project
0: Northwest. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Thank you for For everything that you shared with us today, but mainly at the core of it, thank you just for bringing your enthusiasm out into the world and sharing it um, with all of us. I love the way you've connected these ancient teachings and practices to real life issues that, you know, climate change and crushing student loan debt and then thinking about what might this mean for us? What can we do with this? What would it look like if we all took time off a year off at the same time, you know, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking about just our modern crush of work life where it seems like no one is able to actually take time off without checking email constantly or phoning into the office. The only time people really get a break is when, you know, everyone's off like Thanksgiving or Christmas or, you know, paid federal holiday or something. But when you're the one trying to take vacation and everyone else is working like it, it doesn't work, can't really take that break that you need. That's one of the things about the Shemitah year is it's for everyone. It's a community activity. It's not just people taking turns, taking time off. So thank you for challenging us with all of that. Where should we send people to learn more and see all these resources that you have? We can be
1: found through both, currently both Congregation Beth Shalom and through Earth Ministry, Washington Interfaith Power and Light. And when you become a a partner, and this doesn't cost money, it's just you say, I'd like to be a partner, then you get access to the shared resources like the curricula that we develop and ideas and um, connections to one another, invitations to our programming. But you can drop your name into the link. And then you'll be on the list and you'll get access to all of this.
0: No, that's great. And very much in the sharing spirit of Shemitah practice. So the fields are open for everyone. Well, thank you again so much for being with us. Do you have like a closing thought that you'd like to share or anything that you hope people will do or reflect on from this conversation?
1: You know, I just really hope that people feel that they have been invited to make aspects of this real in whatever capacity makes sense to them in their stage of life, to teach people to learn and to build a creative response wherever you are. And just know, like, take comfort in the fact that this is a very appealing idea that many people are interested in, and it can help, I think, connect. The the belief that we're all in this together is, I think, the most comforting and also the most powerful message that we have. That's what I would like to offer, is that comforting and powerful message of togetherness.
0: Thank you again so much, Deirdre. Take care, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you on the website and, and learning and doing more.